This portion of God's word will serve as the basis for our children's devotion in a few minutes. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for coming up here today. It's good to see you all. You guys know what these are? Ships, right? How about if I show you them like this? Do you know what they really are? Does anybody know what these are? Yeah, bookends. Do you guys know what bookends are used for? If you have a bookshelf and it's not totally full of books and you don't want them to all lean on their side, you could put bookends on either end and push the books together. And these are kind of heavy and they will keep the books standing straight up. Bookends, start and end, right? In a way, when God the Father spoke from heaven about Jesus, we have bookends. A couple weeks ago, at the beginning of the season of Epiphany, we had one bookend where Jesus was baptized and a voice from heaven came, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Right? Remember that? And then just a few minutes ago, you heard another voice of God the Father talking about Jesus. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. The first one kind of got Jesus going on his ministry. The people who heard that voice heard God say, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He is the right kind of guy to be the savior. And at the end, we hear God say to his disciples, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. And the reason I wanted to bring this up to you today is because we need to listen to Jesus today. If we don't listen to Jesus today, we're going to walk out of these doors and not have any idea what I was talking about for 20 plus minutes. Jesus is teaching us something today that we would never figure out on our own. Every single one of us needs change. We all need change from the sinful ways of our sinful hearts. And our mind says, oh, we need change. I got an idea. I'm going to find someone who's got good advice And I'm going to follow their advice and I'm going to make the change. 
But today we're going to learn that following advice will not result in the kind of change that we want and need. Only Jesus can change us. Only Jesus can transfigure us. Only Jesus can take us from sin to glory. And today we're going to learn how that happens. It happens when we look at the glory of Jesus that is hidden in his cross. It happens when we look at Jesus who was crucified for our sins, who died our death, and who lives and rules eternally. Today we're going to listen to how real change happens, how we go from sin to glory, how we are transfigured, how we're made like Jesus. It's not by following good advice. It's by looking at Jesus's glory. Let's pray and ask God to help us listen to Jesus this morning. Heavenly Father, you proclaimed from the cloud, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. As we listen to Jesus' words today, help us to appreciate what is being taught. Help us to appreciate how you change us, how you bring us from sin to glory. Help us to listen with eager, eager hearts. Help me to speak clearly so that your words can be heard and understood and believed. We ask these things in Jesus' name and ask you to work through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Our second lesson will serve as the basis for our time in God's word this morning. It is a, a challenging scripture. Uh, a pastor I respect very much recently said that trying to get your arms around this one is kind of like trying to get your arms around a greased pig. Right When you think you got it, it slips away. This, this is deep theology. And, and to understand what Paul is saying will we'll take some, some extra focus today. A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, each and every one of us here today needs change. Work in us the change that only you can work as you reveal our Savior Jesus and his glory to us. In his name we pray. Amen. So those of you who have been around Mount Olive for a while, you know we don't have screens. They don't really fit in our building all that well. A lot of churches today have screens and you can follow along on a PowerPoint to keep things nice and orderly. And I was halfway tempted to get our portable one today and set it up so you could have something to look at and I could have something to look at and we could just walk through this text together because this is a deep one. It is a challenging one. It is full of content and it is true. As you, right when you think you got it figured out, you you understand what's being said, it it slips away and, and you're a little uncertain but I got, I got an idea, and I think it went okay on Thursday night. We're going we're gonna to try it again this morning. I'm going to begin by painting two different scenarios for you. One scenario of an addict, and one scenario of a failure. And while we're going through those two scenarios, I, I just want you to be thinking about if this person was close to me, a family member, a close friend, a child, a, a niece, a nephew, what would I do? What would I say? I, I care about this person. I love them. I want to help them. How would I interact with this individual? So first, the addict. It's probably a, a more common situation than we'd like to admit in our context. We are in a culture where alcohol use is the norm. And this young man, he grew up in a household where every single big occasion... Alcohol was a a focal point. And it was never a problem when he was growing up. It was only connected to good memories. The adults, his mom and dad, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, the the guys would get together, they'd be enjoying their beers, the ladies would be having a, a glass of wine. When it was a really special occasion, grandma would get out her bar and she would make her famous old fashions. And this young man grew up just waiting till the day that he could join in. And one year, that that time came. He was enjoying a beer with the guys. At Christmas, Grandma made the old fashions, and he had one. He he would never forget that. It was joy and and, and happiness that, that came to his mind when he thought about having a drink with his loved ones. And he goes off to college and every Friday is kind of like Christmas, right? And, and he's got his buddies together, and they're mixing drinks, and they're having a great time. And then next thing you know, every day is like Christmas. He gets home around four or five, and he's mixing a drink. And at first, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But next thing you know, it's a big deal. It's a problem. And it all comes to a head when that next generation of little people in the family at the Christmas party they're not having such a good time because the uncle's just out of control. And none of the young people have a, a fun view of alcohol. None of the young people are looking forward to their first drink. Not if that's what it does. How do you talk to this guy? 
What do you say? Do you start by just saying, hey, I get it. I, I, I understand what it's like to be you. I, I grew up in the same kind of context and I, I love a drink too from time to time, but this has become a problem for you and now we need accountability and you just need to cut yourself off. Do you come up with steps? <laughs> Three steps to follow to, to achieve the, the outcome that we all desire? What's the outcome that we desire anyway? What's success? <clears throat> Maybe glory is not the word you come to, but, but if there was great success and your plan works, and this young man, this loved one of yours, is able to leave that lifestyle, and the parties are fun again. Is that a story of glory? Is that someone to hold up as an example? What are we going for here? What's the outcome that is desired? Now we'll talk about an example of a failure. The, the high school girl who gets pregnant and then watches the father leave her and the child and go off to college and in the eyes of the world achieve success while she stays back and spirals. Ten years after, she's got this ten-year-old child that is an absolute disaster. He's doing horribly in school. He's a behavioral nightmare. And she blames herself. One bad decision. And it's not only impacting her, but now this young man. And she can't hold down a job because she either gets fired for missing shifts or she doesn't like her coworkers and she quits. And with no stable income, her housing has been all over the place. And so it's her fault that her son is struggling the way he is. What do you say to this young lady? Where do you start? Do you try to take the 10-year-old the under your wing and, and help him get back on his feet? Do you, do you give money? Do you, do you set up counseling? Do you become a mentor? Do you help with finances? How, what do you do? Where do you start? What's the goal? What's success? If this young boy becomes a model citizen graduates college with honors and goes off to be a great success? Is that what we're going for? Are we looking for both son and mother to get back on their feet and to have stability for the rest of their lives? If, if we do achieve success, are, are they now held on a pedestal, a, a story of glory for others in similar circumstances to look up to and, and to follow? When we see someone who needs change, whether it's someone else or the person that we're looking at in the mirror, we are very good at seeking advice, at coming up with a plan, at looking for the steps to follow to make the necessary change. But if I could just foreshadow where we're going so that you don't get too lost in the next 10 minutes or so, the point we're looking for today that Paul is driving home is that the best laid plans of men, the best advice, the best rules, the best laws, they don't result in the kind of change that you want. 
they will never result in the glory that you seek. They will only result in death. When Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, there has been a new wave of ministers who have come in after him. Later in the the letter, Paul refers to them as super apostles. Paul was an apostle, but behind him came super apostles. And these super apostles, boy, they had it figured out. They brought a better form of Christianity. They approached their Christian life better than Paul did. And so they were trying to convince the Corinthians, you should listen to us and our ways because we're better than the guy who came before us. And sadly, they took an approach that we often take in our own life and that many, many ministries today masquerading as Christian also take. Here's the best practices. Here's some tips and tricks. Here's the wisest wisdom, the sagest of all advice. Follow these steps and you will succeed. Paul says it's a lie. It's a big lie. But it's a hard lie to identify for one reason. Because as Christians who give advice, we're often giving really good advice. Really godly advice. Advice that just is right in line with what the word of God says. The Ten Commandments, maybe in our own words, but the Ten Commandments, it it is the best advice available. And Paul says, even that godly good advice will will not result in glory. It will not result in transfiguration. It will not result in a sinner going from sin to glory. It will only result in death. Paul stresses this. If the ministry that brought death, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, the ministry that Moses brought down the mountain, we heard about that in Exodus 34. If that ministry brought death, if the ministry that brought condemnation, and if what was transitory, what was fading away, he says the law of God, the Ten Commandments, it brings death, condemnation, and its impact fades away. And if that brought glory, did you catch that? He calls the law glorious. It is good because it's from God. It can be nothing but glorious. If everyone in this room perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments, everybody in this room would have a perfect life. Your life would be awesome. If everybody in the world obeyed the Ten Commandments, we would be in heaven. The Ten Commandments are good They are glorious, but they only result in death, in condemnation, and their results only fade away. And so what's the point? If you talk to that addict, or you talk to that failure, or you look at yourself in the mirror when you see a need for change in your life, and all you can come up with is a list of things to do, you will not be transfigured. You will not go from sin to glory. So how? How do we go from sin to glory? How do we become transfigured? Well, the first thing that needs to happen is death. And so that means the law does have a purpose. My self-help tendencies, my craving to, to, 
to have the best wisdom and the sagest advice, to, to give the best tips and tricks, that has to die. And the Holy Spirit does that through the Ten Commandments. The Holy Spirit kills that pride, kills that arrogance, kills that self-help. But if the veil stays on, no transfiguration. Which means the law has to bring death, the law has to do its work, but then the veil also has to come off. So how does that happen? But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Notice the, the contrast. Not glory that fades away. Ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we have a contrast before us. Moses with a veil on his face, which is necessary, and we'll talk about that in a second. You and me without a veil on our face. Moses is reflecting the glory of God and it's terrifying and as it fades away, he covers it so they won't see it fading. We don't have to wear a veil because the glory reflecting off of us is not terrifying at all. What? That's where we need to get. Ready? This is the last thing we're going to do, so buckle up, okay? Moses was reflecting the glory of the law, which as we already established is terrifying, tells us we're going to die, makes us feel guilty. It had to be covered as it was fading away. But what God has done for us in Jesus is he has hidden his glory so we can look at it and not be terrified. And that's the key. Jesus gives a glimpse of his glory to Peter, James, and John, and what happens? They're terrified. And they see Moses and Elijah, who are also glorious, standing with Jesus, talking about his exodus, his departure, which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Then it goes away. His glory is hidden again. And where does he go? Where does he depart to? To the cross, where the glory of God His love for fallen sinners like us is put on display. The glory of God, hidden in God's one and only Son, chosen for this very purpose, is revealed in that the only one the law could not condemn, the only one the law could not kill, Jesus, the Son of God, was condemned and killed. How could that be? This ministry that is glorious, the Ten Commandments, which only leads to death and condemnation, could not kill or condemn Jesus because he had done nothing wrong. And yet what happened on Good Friday? He was condemned and he was killed. Why? Because the Father treated him as though he was us. The Father treated him as though he were the sinner. And in so doing, 
revealed his unfathomable love for us. Because Jesus, God's own son, who was chosen for this purpose, walked down from that mountain to go to that cross. That's how much he loves you. And that's how much he loves me. He took the full condemnation of the law. He took the full death that the law brings. He endured our hell so that we could be made glorious. And it's when you look at that, it's when you stare at the hidden glory of God, no veil needed because there's no terror here, only peace, only forgiveness. It's when you stare at that that a miracle happens inside you and me. When we stare at the hidden glory of God, the glory of Jesus hidden in the cross, we're transfigured. We go from death to life, from guilt to peace, from sin to glory. And so keep your face unveiled. Do you get it? Because you know people, just like I do, who need change. And yes, sometimes it's the person you look in the mirror and see every day. But you know an addict? You know a failure? Stop trying to give them a list of ways to lose their addiction. Stop trying to give them the best advice so they could stop being failures and just reflect Jesus. Show them the hidden glory of Jesus on the cross where he took the punishment for that addiction. Where he took the punishment for the failure, for the bad decisions, for the laziness. Where Jesus endured it all and be prepared to witness something amazing. Be prepared to witness transfiguration. Be prepared to see that individual go from sin to glory, from guilt to peace, from death to life. Amen.